Welcome to Mountain Mama's Misadventures, stories of mishap and adventure from women adventurers. Every woman has a story she can share, from the zany to the inspirational. Brought to you by Mountain Mamas, a nonprofit women's adventure organization. Women empowering women to adventure. My name is Emily Hacken. And I'm Deborah Moore, and we are your hosts. And this is episode 20, which is super exciting. Yay, 20! So, yay! So, one thing I wanted to mention is that Mountain Mamas Adventure Organization has a website now, an official one, mountainmamas.org. So, that's M-T-M-A-M-A-S dot org. Yep. All right. And maybe we'll include it in the show notes. Who's to say? <laughs> and I worked really hard on this website, so check it out. It's super cool. And and don't have super high expectations, but do know that we worked really hard and it's lots it's just tons of cool information, trips, photos, um, dreams and schemes, stuff for kids, just all sorts of women adventuring things. And we have the podcast stuff on there, all that jazz. So yeah. And especially if you are in Utah or you'll be traveling in U- to Utah this summer, check out the kid hikes because that is a great plethora of information, lots of fun hikes that are short and sweet, um, just to get your kids out in the mountains. Yes, and you can find that on the main page, on the little tab at the top, there's kids. And then under the kids page, there's a zillion different activities that you can check out with your kids, and hiking is at the top. We also have places, there's like mountain biking places, fossil finding, parks, um, gosh, a million different things, you and skiing, all these cool things that we can do with your kids. Mm-hmm. So, anyway. Yeah. No, they're really cool, and in fact, uh, last year I utilized some of that before it was officially on the website for my Girl Scout troop so that we could have some activities Ah, to do yeah outdoors where while we could still do our social distancing and stay safe and so we did some fun stuff using that so it's really cool check it out (laughs) super awesome all right well for our 20th episode we have an amazing guest who came all the way from upstairs (laughs) (laughs) and then down to the recording studio. But that's right. We have Emily. <laughs> Emily has returned. I mean, she's been here for every episode, but as far as the guest telling stories. And so that's super awesome. So we, Emily was born in West Valley City. And she has two daughters. She's married. And her girls are super cute. Love them loads. She is a nurse. And then most of the time is doing the stay-at-home mom thing, and also being the founder of Mountain Mamas, which takes a lot of work. It's like three hours a day, actually. You wouldn't think of that, but all the logistics behind the scenes stuff. So it's a part-time job, yeah. Oh, for sure. And that's not even counting the times when you go checking out things. Oh, the recons and the trips we lead and all that kind of stuff. And But it is so fulfilling. Like, it's a nonprofit, and this is all volunteer, but we just love it. It's that intrinsic love value Blah, whatever you want to put a price on that, but it's worth it. We love it. Yeah, and you've, uh, you've had that deep love always, so <laughs> I think that's amazing. Hey, the fun fact is that we wanted to talk about your mountain dogs that you have, <laughs> Xander and Willow, which I love the names because I'm a massive Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan, so if you're familiar with the show, you'll know who those characters are within it. And they have the same personalities, so my husband says. Yeah, they were just a quick little blurb. So yeah, they're um, Great Pyrenees mixed type dogs found up in the mountains of Camas, Utah. I'm at a girls camp and my friends just happened to be doing a girls camp that week and the host had just found these two starving puppies 
um, two months old, probably rolled out of the the Mm -hmm. forest near their campfire and befriended their puppy. And so they tried to like bring them back to feed them and chub them up a little bit. And that was the week our girls camp was up there. And so my friend was like, do you want one of these? And we're like, sure, I'll take one. You take the other. Um, And we brought these puppies, they brought the puppies home and they missed each other so much. And luckily um, the neighbor, her, that had the other dog, her husband was allergic. And so she's like, do you want both of these dogs? (laughs) And we're like, you know, they really need each other and they've missed each other. And they were trying to break out of our yard to get to each other. So we'll take them. And sure enough, they have grown up to be massive white monster dogs, but they are sweet and loving and awesome. And Mm -hmm. Um, they're fantastic camping with, cause I feel like there's no cougar or bear that would attack our little pet, our little posse with two massive mm-hmm. dogs. I think a bear could take out one of them, but not <laughs> both of them. So I feel like we're relatively safe, which is funny because our dogs don't run fast or hike far, but they're really good at lounging like with sheep. That's what they do. Anyway. So we've got good, large, lounging dogs that we love. Yeah. Yeah. No, they, yeah. They are the epitome of gentle giant because they just have that just sweet sweetness and then they just kind of flop down. That's They're so true. cute. <laughs> so cute. Love that. Love, love. All right. Well, today we are going to be talking about one of Emily's many hiking adventures. And this is more than hiking, of course. Um, going up onto the map, top of the mountain. And I'm going to let you say the name because <laughs> I have already forgotten how to pronounce it correctly. Okay. So my dad and I had this dream of hiking some of the seven summits, which is the highest mountain on each of the seven continents. And this was kind of, you, I, I would say it's probably one of the pinnacles of our little high altitude trekking careers. So we hiked Aconcagua. It's down in South America in Argentina. I highly recommend this trip for anyone who is interested in doing high altitude um, trekking. The difference is it's not a mountaineering you can do mountaineering routes, but what we did was totally like just a hike. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Not just a hike. But anyway, I'm just saying like your skill yeah. level, you don't have to have a lot of ice. I mean, axe train, like ice training and rope work and things for the route we took. We just okay. took like a regular, I can't even remember the route, but yeah, a okay, regular so that, touristy route. So is that the difference mainly then between that and mountaineering is that mountaineering you're using those the pickaxes or? Yeah, know, yeah. Listeners? And there's the Polish glacier route. Um, on Aconcagua, the go and the, of course the summit face, the south summit, um, and both of those yeah require like the full like you got the harness, the ropes because you've got crevasses and ice fields you're crossing over, and you have to have your crampons and all this junk. Um, but we were doing the backside route um, that requires is just mostly like a white. Um, I mean, is <laughs> mostly it doesn't have any white white snow. It has no snow fields to cross, so it's mostly where we hiked it. Um, in the summertime, it was, yeah, it was just great and rocky and just a big hike, essentially, until you get to the very top, and then there were some snow fields to cross up there. Mm-hmm. But anyway, okay. I'm just saying, like, this is something you could totally do, save mm-hmm. your pennies. Um, but anyway, yeah, so I wanted, to, so um, my my dad and um, some friends and I in 2009 decided to do this climb, and it was just like a dream. And we just talked to everyone we knew and eventually found some people to come with us. And one of the guides was like, I can be your guide, even though I've never climbed it before. Um, but I can do, um, I've done mountaineering and led summits and stuff like that. So we're like, sure. And then he was able to coordinate the people down in South America and get all that sorted out. So um, so he did a great job with that and getting us all, all our gear set up and stuff. So we get down there and... Um, 
it's a three-week expedition type thing. So it takes about two weeks to climb the mountain, and then a few days before and a few days after to just kind of acclimate to the general climate. So we... Okay. Um, and, and what do you mean as far as, like, acclimating, like, how... Like, what was temperatures like and things like that? It was gorgeous. I wish I could tell you what time of the year it was. I don't even remember because they're opposite us. <laughs> so maybe we were down there in the wintertime, uh-huh. our winter there summer. I know. Um, but, yeah, it's gorgeous in uh, a lot like Italy and summer. Like, it, the Argentine is very similar to Italy. Um, and they have great vineyards and beautiful meat and all this, and, like, cattle and all that junk. But, anyway, um, yeah, it was pretty... Um, I don't know, I'd say 60s or something like that, okay. 60s, 70s at the base, like when you start at the trailhead. Um, and then, yeah, it's a couple, two days hike to base camp, and you do that with just a pack on your back. And we paid some, the guiding company to load all our stuff on mules. So that's kind of how they transport a lot of the heavy gear and things are by mules there. So, um, yeah, we just had our day pack, and we stayed at a, a already a, like a geodesic tent for the first night. In, um, yeah, it was pretty cool with like 20 people uh, on metal bunk beds. And that was just kind of, again, they had a, a few of those. And that's what just people stayed in. And then the next day you made it to base camp. And base camp is about 14,000 feet, which to give you kind of a set, like a general guideline, like Utah, I think the highest we get is, I'm going to say 12,000, maybe at King's Peak. And the highest in the lower 48 is in California, um, and that one's at 14,000 feet. Uh, and then uh, up in Alaska is 19,000 feet, Denali. Okay. Anyway, okay. so that's kind of giving you some reference of, like, elevation. So our base camp is at 14,000 feet. It's called Plaza de Mules, de mule, like mules, um, mm-hmm. the mule okay. plaza. <laughs> because this is all the donkey, all the mules come in um, and drop off all their loads at base camp. And the last push before um, this camp is all these gnarly switchbacks. And it is literally, literally littered with the bodies of mules. It's so sad. Like, Mm. you know, because these mules, if they fall off these switchbacks, they're so steep. And they just can't get to them. And so they're, I mean, I always thought, like, what is it like for this mule who's hiking with this heavy pack and be like, doopy doopy And then be like, oh, no, that's where George is. I've missed him for two weeks. You're like, oh, this is going to be so disheartening for the mules. Anyway, um, and what's also interesting is going up this elevation. Like, I physically remember the time, like, this is the last time I saw like a tree. This is the last time I saw oh, a really? bush. This is the last time I saw any vegetation. Um, and as you get higher and higher, you're like, this is the last time I haven't heard a bird for mm. a long time. <sighs> it's weird. Like all of a sudden you mm-hmm. get high to the, to the point where everything's just rock. Um, mm-hmm. you get, you're way past the tree line. It's bizarre. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so at Plaza de Mulas, it's like, it's your, your general chaos of base camps. They had a zillion tents there. You had their ranger station. They check your oxygen when you first get there. And everyone is hypoxic. Like So okay, hypoxic mean? means, so they'll do this little device on your finger and it checks the oxygen in your blood. And most people should be 90% or higher. Mm-hmm. And everyone, when you get to Plaza de Mulas, is 80%, between 80 and 90. Oh. But no one's 90 unless you're like some... So you, the problem with being hypoxic is your brain isn't getting the oxygen it's supposed to. Mm-hmm. So you kind of, you're just not being, your brain's just not functioning at like. You're getting kind of loopy. <laughs> and that's just how it's supposed to be. And then 
you just, you know, the idea is that you stay at that elevation for a few days. I mean, that's what they recommend, and that's what we did. And then eventually your body, like, adjusts, and then your oxygen levels start okay. to increase again. Yeah. All right, so, and you're, the guy who's being your guide is not acclimated any more than you guys. Right. Right? <laughs> yeah, he wasn't. I mean, oh, okay. and, and he had hired another, he'd hired the local guiding company, and they're the ones that had all the mules and the porters, and they yeah. had the tents, and they were cooking the food for us. Okay. But yeah, he technically himself wasn't, yeah, any better or any smarter than the rest of us. Anyway, I mean, he was smarter, but yeah, it was funny. We're all like, we're all equally dumb. Um, and then the base camp is funny. It's just like this whole mix of multicolored tents, and it's all just set on the rock. Um, you just find a piece of rock to set your tent up on, and then you've got your kitchen tent and things like that. There was like a tent as we wandered around. There was like a, a like a club tent where people at nighttime you could go dancing. <laughs> I love anyway, it. Like people are. I mean, the guides are there all summer long, so they have all their stuff. So anyway, and okay. there was these. Um, there's a really neat snowfield nearby that had this cool formation called. Uh, they're like pinnacles, and I can't remember how to say it in Spanish, but. But essentially, they're these upside-down icicles uh, mm-hmm. made out of snow. Anyway, mm-hmm. it's like the gnarly, and they're as tall as you are. Yeah, I, so, uh, and um, unfortunately, I wish it could be like a slideshow with the podcast because <laughs> Emily has all these amazing pictures. But I think, actually, I did see that one. It looks almost like, um, yeah, they look almost like stalactites, right? Or stalagmites. Stalagmites. The yeah, they look like stalagmites almost. Yeah, it's just like, this cool ice formation. Anyway, so that was around base camp. Um and yeah, that was that. So we stayed there for a few days, and we were gonna start going up after just like a couple days. But then this huge snowstorm came in, and it covered the whole mountain. So essentially, all the camps on the entire mountain were shut down. No one was moving anywhere. And it wasn't until like two. We were grounded for about two days, I think. And it wasn't until after that, like the storm lifted, that we found out that um, some of the teams on the high mountain. Um, had had some water problems. In fact, there was a team from the U.S., a guiding group, um, with a guide from Utah, and a gal that he was helping, she had gotten lost um, and fell into a crevasse, and he went to go get her, and the storm came in and all this stuff, and um, they weren't able to get rescued. So they had passed away. They had perished on during that storm while we were there on the other side of the mountain. So that was kind of, it's eerie to be doing a trip where mm-hmm. people are dying on the mountain when you are there. Yeah. It's oh. just bizarre. Yeah, I can I can only imagine. On the flip side, at home, there wasn't a lot of communication while you guys were on that mountain, obviously. So mm-hmm. um, it was just the occasional email. And I do remember when we were like, wait, what? Like, two people have died on the mountain and a Utah guide. And we're just like, oh, my gosh. Oh my gosh that's our I faked it. Is Emily alive? Like, you know, and we, you know, fairly quickly because of the news, we're able to um, figure out kind of what had gone on. But I do remember that was very surreal in and of itself, too. Yeah. Being like, oh, my gosh, like, what's going on? And is that their same group? And isn't it? Or like, We were super worried that you guys, yeah, were like, oh, my gosh, they've all died. Yeah. yeah so I'm glad crazy. you got some information. Yeah, it was, it was, su- and super sad for that family because mm-hmm. the guide was amazing. Um, but yeah, that made so kind sad. of the trip, like our kind of fun, casual, yeah, party um, strenuous, chat. yeah, our, you know, it kind of put a somber mood on all of the camps, everyone at base camp. Um, mm-hmm. but then the storm lifted and we still needed to get going. And the next camp up is Camp Canada, um, at 16,500 feet. And the way you climb these mountains is you, um, you take all your gear up in one day and put it at the high camp and then you go back down and sleep 
back at your original camp. And then the next day you take the other half of your stuff and go up to that camp. So it took us a couple days to get up to Camp Canada and sleep there. Um, mm-hmm. And Camp Canada is just like a rock um, slope and that's, there's nothing super fancy about it. The only funny thing that happened at Camp Canada is dad got busted for pooping. <laughs> so, um, because that's you're at such funny. high elevation, things don't biodegrade. So you have to pack out everything, including your poop. And they give you a little bag to do it. And um, I think, I don't remember. So, <laughs> he he would say something like he was trying to, he was just letting it dry. This is probably TMI. But, like, you have to do these things at high altitude. Let it dry. Oh, and then, yes. like, after a few hours, then you collect it. And so it's good to pack. Anyway, you imagine all that is in your pack along oh. with everything else that you're packing and your food. Anyway, so it just this is how it goes. So he would say that, yeah, that was part of what happened. But anyway, the ranger came by. He got busted and totally got a ticket. I think it was like $200. That's so, that's so hilarious. So <laughs> he got his, his pooping ticket. So so when you break things up as you're going up, is that because of elevation, sickness, dangers there? Like you said mm-hmm. where you just bring half up, then go sl- go down and sleep, and then bring the other half, or just because physically you can't bring everything I think it's both. I mean, the mules had brought all our stuff. So now we physically were carrying all our stuff and we couldn't do it in one load. And then, yeah, the other point is, yeah, but you have to, um, yeah, you just have to go up slowly because of elevation. So, yeah, both okay. of those. Okay. Yeah, great question. Um, and so the next day, oh, and I remember at Camp Canada, I learned quickly that after 15,000 feet, I've learned this, that I get super sick. I'm nauseous, I'm mm-hmm. throwing up, and I just have constant diarrhea. <laughs> so anyway, climbing high mountain. I remember I did a little video log, and it was just, and, and why do we do these? Because I love it. I'm like, I was like, it's actually pretty positive because I'm not coughing up blood. I I haven't hallucinated yet. There's a lot of pros. Yeah, anyway. no, this is like actual words that were said during that video. I remember watching and just being like, we are very different human beings. <laughs> Anyway, you just pop a couple of modiums and you shut that system down and we just kept going. Um, and we went up to the, so the next, after a couple of days, we went up to the high camp, which is called Nido, and as a nickel, I-D-O, Nido de Condores, Condors, Condors, at 18,200 feet. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of the last camp that we were going to make before we did our summit attempt. And it's crazy up there. It's like a windswept like netherworld. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the highest that a helicopter will go. And even the helicopters are a little sketched out up there. There's a ranger station up there and they check your oxygen. And they were mm-hmm. <laughs> like, if you're in the 80s, that's good. Uh-huh. <laughs> like you're like in the 70s up there. It's just bizarre. Um, and then um, you have um, all the tents. They're kind of scattered out a lot less up here. And there's no place to go to the bathroom, you should know, except one large boulder, which we called P-Rock. And the funny thing is because all the tents were all around P-Rock, and because it was so freezing up there that the P had just frozen into a yellow lake, like a moat around this rock. It was awesome. And no matter where you feed, you were always mooning somebody. Mm -hmm. That's when you learn to be like hanging out there. Mm-hmm. But, um, and, and then you're like, that's what we're going to do. And then we were up there and the wind started to pick up. So the day we wanted to summit, we were super um, concerned because the winds had just been horrific. Like mm-hmm. so bad. They were like lifting up your tent, collapsing your tent. Yikes. And um, our dad, who is an amazing man of faith, um, said a prayer. And I think I was, remember being with him on this. We, he said a prayer that the winds would subside and we'd be able to summit. And we're supposed to, we were going to do our summit push at 3 a.m. And um, so he, he prayed and prayed and that's the best we could do. And literally, like, I think it was like 2 a.m. All of a sudden, everything just like went still. 
Uh, it was amazing. And our guide gets out and he's like, all right, I guess we're going to do this. <laughs> and we're like, yeah, that's awesome. And you should understand, it's so cold up there. So cold. Um, that's where I learned how to use a pee funnel. Other stories you don't want to hear. Um, <laughs> but you will later. You'll later. <laughs> you can pee inside your tent or inside your sleeping bag. It's the best thing. Um, so we got all our stuff together. It's dark. You have your headlamps on and we head out. Um, and we start going and it's just a slow slog as the, and the hours creep by. Um, and we can start like, like around, I think the car, hardest time of a summiting a mountain is between one and 4 AM cause it's just dark and cold. And then 5 AM hits and you can start seeing that light along the horizon. And it's just the best thing. You know that the warmth is coming, the sun is coming. And so the sun had started to come up and, um, after, a couple hours, we got pretty high. We passed, there's an extra high camp after that. This you can even camp at. We passed that. And then my asthma started to kick my trash. Mm -hmm. And I was sluggish. I was moving slow. And our guide was just like, you can't keep up. This is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And it was the most heartbreaking thing. My dad stood up for me. He's like, everyone's slow. She'll be fine. Mm -hmm. I'll like... I'll vouch for her and I'll carry her hypoxic corpse down the mountain <laughs> if I have to. He was so awesome. But the guide and, uh, you know, our doctor, we had a doctor there. Um, we're just like, nah, she's got to go back. So that was the most heartbreaking mm. thing um, to go back. Well, and before you left, didn't Marilyn say something about, like, just make sure that you don't keep pushing even if you're having, like, right. asthma, like, like just because we know... We know how that how that goes when asthma crops up and it just takes over. Yeah, all you asthmatics out there know, like, it's yeah. just a beast um, to be slowly suffocating. Oh, yeah. So, I, there's Ed Veesters, who's climbed all the seven summits, says, you know, going, summiting is optional, but coming home is mandatory. <laughs> and so that's kind of, yes. that was our mantra. And I talked to Dad about it. And so I made my way, I staggered back and got back to camp okay and just kind of waited out the rest of the day. So they continued on. Um, and um, Which the, I think it's crazy that you went, like, were sent back on your own. So there's some ethical is, issues that, that happened with this group. safe. Yes, I wouldn't recommend that now, especially, knowing what I know out. Especially if you actually had been, I mean, it was asthma and not elevation, but had it, it been, like, elevation been masked. Like, yes. You could have, like, walked off a cliff. Yes, there's a reason I'm not actually mentioning names in this because there is some blame that has been cast, but who knows? This is like retrospective. So, um, so I went down, made it safe. They kept going up, and then um, as they got closer to the, they started having to cross some snowfields, and my dad, they needed to get on their crampons and things. And our dad was suffering from hypoxia and couldn't think and didn't know how to put on his crampons and had a real struggle. And the guide took off with his friend. And they left everybody, and they because they really wanted to hit the summit. Uh, yeah. And so there's two other gals, my friend and her, um, our doctor, um, were trying their best to figure stuff out. And then my dad at the end, who was just really struggling. And luckily, the two gals were able to help him get his crampons on. But then they took mm -hmm. off, and so our dad, who has like is starting to have hypoxia yeah, and, and confusion and all this high altitude stuff, um, is just left to himself. And this is so dangerous. You're at mm -hmm. these high um, snowfields where you can. He said he tripped a few times, and if you trip and fall, like, you can, like, slide down, like, yeah. thousands of feet. So, anyway, it was a total miracle that he made it to the summit, and they got there just, <laughs> sounds super macabre, 
But they got there just as a man from Canada had passed away, had a heart attack at the summit. And Whoa. they, my dad's like, I get to the summit and I'm so excited. And there's a guy in a body bag in a sled. Oh <laughs> He's like, it was so disheartening. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he was also so sad because he didn't, you know, because he was wondering where his crew were. But there they were finally at the top. They all did their pictures and stuff like that. Well, and dad, I know, wanted you to be able to come. Too, oh, yeah. So, so that was definitely. So, so Yeah. But they were able to, they, they summited, and they summited safely, thank heavens, um, and made it down, and they came and, um, yeah, came down. I met them, and I had boiled water all day. Up there, it takes four hours to cook water. I'm just saying, it's ridiculous, because you're melting from snow. Oh, my gosh. And just turning on the tap down here is nothing. Like, up there, it takes hours, just because the elevation, the air is so thin. Wow. Anyway, so we, I... I got them their water and stuff when they got down, and we ate some food, and they told me about their exploits, and I mean, it was pretty sobering. It was an intense, intense summit, and then we made our way down, and on the way down, we also, um, going down around Camp Canada, down to base camp, we a random rock came off the summit, um, just some random rock fall, and hit someone who was hiking up from Camp Canada to the high camp. Mm-hmm. Um, and hit him in the chest, just like Whoa, random person. So random. And um, when we were coming down, we saw him, and he the the rangers had got up there, and they were putting him in a, like a transport wagon, and it was ridiculous. It had a um, we were watching him transport him down this huge rock slide, and it was like like just like banging and cra- you know sliding and slamming from one side to the other, and you're like. If he wasn't already traumatized before, like, he's going to be in such a bad condition. And it turned, like, we talked to the rangers later, and, yeah, he didn't, he had a punctured lung from the impact and then just didn't make it. I mean, it was such a sobering, sobering trip because, yeah, four people didn't make it on that, on that trip. And they were just random, you know, could have been us. So, anyway, those high altitude mountains are still, even if it's a trek, still... Um, are still pretty intense. But that being said, like, have a good guide. I would say, um, yeah, the takeaway from this is, like, still dream your dreams. And the mountain was beautiful. It was epic. It was amazing. And, like, even though we kind of just kind of jimmy-rigged our guiding system, like, like we still did okay, you know. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing is knowing how to be a better guide. I learned a lot how to be a good guide on that trip is that you stay with your people. You are the last one to the summit. Um, or you, like you always have two guides and you're, you get a guide to the summit and another, you know, like you make sure all your crew is safe. If you split up, you make sure you got a guide with someone taking them down. Like your guides aren't, and they, this is what happens with a lot of big mountains is your guides get summit fever and they will just, if they haven't been to the top themselves, they just, they so just want it bad. They're usually in a better condition than everyone else, and they know that they can make it. And anyway, so I would be a takeaway is like make sure that you take good care of your people, you know. And you can this applies to family trips too. Like take good care of your people. You may be in awesome condition, but they you need to make sure that all your people are safe and everyone gets home safe. You know, getting to the mm-hmm. summit is optional, but. Yeah, definitely getting home is mandatory. Oh, yeah. No, that's yeah, so well said, and that makes so much sense. Um, yeah, I still hear, of course, Dad and you talking about wonderful things from that trip mm-hmm. as well. And so I think that's excellent how you, like, I don't know, you're able to learn so much. And I'm glad you both made it back. Because <laughs> yeah, everybody, right. everyone within your group, though, did make it back, right? Yeah, it was yeah, just, yeah. But it was the other. Okay. Yeah, we Just all for survived. Clarification, but yeah. <laughs> and I was the only one that didn't summit. Like everyone else summited and did great. Yeah. Yeah. 
So yeah, so in spite of, like you said, in spite of it all, and yeah, so maybe also if you if you're having a guide and it's somebody who's been to the summit a lot, then you you're like, great, yeah, this won't be a like like this won't be their thing of I have to get to the top. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But yeah, so I don't know. I think it's so cool, and I just I admire. No, I just admire you so much and pushing so hard and doing all of these cool, amazing adventures. And there's so many people to be able to. You know, it's so easy to say, well, I can't, or because of this, that, and the other, and you're just like, what? No, we're going to go. We're going to do this. <laughs> we're going to make this work, and I just think that is amazing, and why you have that, like, adventure, pioneering spirit that I think is so cool. Aw, thank you so much. You're so, so <laughs> welcome. All right, well, that's it for today's adventure. Join us next time, and remember, ladies, a woman's place is in the mountains. <laughs>